Uh, it's really good. Hey, we're in a series at the moment. We're just coming back to it now, actually, the goodness of God. Um, this is our theme. Goodness is our theme for 2023. And uh, we've kicked off the start of the year talking about the goodness of God in the Old Testament. Uh, the, the, the culture that you and I find ourselves in now, uh, folks out and around about, uh, people who influence us through various forms, have a story to tell about the goodness of God. Uh, there'll be some of you in the room who will remember a time when the popular culture around us talked about the goodness of God, how good God was. But the story has changed since then. The, the story that is being told now is that God isn't good. All of those kids that walked out of the room there just before live in an environment where outside of a church setting, all of the information they receive is that God is not good and that he is someone to be feared if he was to exist and that you should resist things that God does around you. That's the story that's been told. And so our focus this year is about goodness and the goodness of God. We spent nine weeks at the start of the year talking through the goodness of God in the context of the Old Testament, what we saw in that setting. Then we took a break from that and we went through a series called uh, Suffering for Doing Good. There's a series in First Peter. Uh, Bryce, our executive pastor, finished that series last week. Uh, on uh, suffering for doing good, and now we re-enter the goodness of God, but in the context of the New Testament, particularly in the life of Jesus. So that's where we're going to go uh, starting today. You excited? Yeah, I'm, I'm moderately excited, Steve, <laughs> in a kind of, you know, quiet way. So let me just pray into that, hey? Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for the opportunity to be in church this morning. Lord, we're, we're really grateful for uh, being here this morning to share in the dedication uh, with Terry and Robin, uh, knowing a bit of their story and the journey that they have uh, travelled. Um, Lord, we're just so grateful that we can be here to witness that and partner with them. Lord, we, uh, we pray now that as we open your word together that you would uh, just really encourage us in our spirit. You would grow us in our understanding of you, our, our depth of the picture of your story in scripture, uh, and that you would reveal your goodness to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to take you back over the first nine weeks of this series. Um, That'll take me between 3 to 23 minutes, somewhere in between there. We started off talking about uh, the goodness of God, particularly in an invitation that is seen in the book of Psalms. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Taste and see the Lord is good. It's an Old Testament picture inviting us to uh, an experience and a connection with the truth of who God is the character of God. That's where we launched. Goodness is intrinsic. It's an intrinsic central part of the character of God. It's who he is. He can't help but be good. God doesn't put on goodness because he's got someone to meet or an event to go to. It's just who he is. So goodness just comes out of him and he invites us into that. 
It's inherent in his nature. Then we looked at the story of Moses. Uh, Moses is battling to lead the people of God um, and they are resistant. Uh, The scripture tells us that they are stubborn and stiff-necked, a bit like you and me, resistant to what God is doing in their setting. Moses, though, is blessed with a special aspect of relationship with God. The Spirit of God comes upon him like he does with other Old Testament characters to deliver information and to see an outcome that God is looking for. And Moses has this part of his journey, as a part of his journey as well. He's seeking to serve God by leading the people. Actually, the process for Moses is, is that he loves this engagement with God, this really deep, connected peace. And so as a part of his journey, he pursues God for more of that. And he pleads with God, show me your glory, he says to God. And God says in Exodus uh, 32, 33, I can't do that for you, Moses. You you won't survive it. But if you go into that rock there on the side of the mountain, my goodness will pass by. There's a lesson in that for you and I that was really important, that God wants to show us you and I, his goodness. It's who he is. He wants to reveal himself to us. Moses had that blessing. Then we looked at the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. We saw how God's goodness is visible and present in his promises, the promises that God makes to his people. He made a promise with Abraham, a covenant, a partnership, And all that was required to set up this partnership, the the process was already in place, but all that was required to set it up from both parties, God did himself. God did all of the work to create this bond and this connection between Abraham and God's people. We talked about Kevin DeYoung's uh, definition of goodness. This will come up on the screen. Divine goodness is the overflowing bounty of God by which he who receives nothing and lacks nothing, that's God, communicates his blessing to his creation and to his creatures. God is good and that he wants to bless you and I. He doesn't need to do that. He has everything that's required within himself, within the Godhead, but he wants to show his goodness to us. Psalm 46 is an amazing reflection and picture of this partnership. Look that up uh, in your own time, Psalm 46, to reflect this picture of the covenant that God has made in the Old Testament with Abraham and the Israelite people. God has continued this picture through to today where he does all the work. Jesus has done all that is required for yours and my salvation. He's met all of the requirements of the law. Our response, like that of the Old Testament followers, is to love God and do our best. The posture for you and I today is to accept Jesus and live out of that relationship that is offered to us. Then we got to the most prolific human being in the Old Testament, 
the personality of David. Um, We looked at the life of David for a couple of weeks, actually, to see what we could discover, see what David discovered about the goodness of God. Bryce took us through that for a couple of weeks and he talked about David seeing the, the, the macro, the big picture of God's goodness and the micro, the very small, the, the, the almost insignificant parts of our lives. God's goodness is seen in those, both of those things, the big picture, eternal, as well as the small picture, the, the, the things that happen within us and seemingly that no one else would see. David said in Psalm chapter 8, verse 4, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? As he reflects on this big picture, little picture scenario, why is, what, what is it about God that is, is so loving that he sees the big picture and is interested in us? His conclusion after he wrestled with the big questions of life really summed up well in Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life, says David. A classic, beautiful, poetic psalm. The week after that, we stuck with David to see after he'd understood all this picture about God's goodness... Does it make any difference? Does it change anything in your life? Is there anything to do? Does it create any movement within us? We track through the story of David and his son Absalom and understanding that God's goodness was a part of that picture, David was able to release a whole lot of pressure and stress and anxiety and um, challenge that was coming his way because he trusted in God's goodness. The goodness of God seen in the big, the eternal and the global things, but also in the small, the minute and insignificant things. There was a nagging question that sat below the surface for us at this point in time about hardship. In fact, that question will have sat there for some of us from the moment we raised the topic of the goodness of God. The concept that God is good within his character. Questions of hardship and injustice and difficulty. How does difficult situations sit alongside, how does it cohabitate with a God who is good, who is inherently good? So we went on and looked at the life of Joseph next. Out of the book of Genesis, he lived an absolute roller coaster of a life for sure. Hardship came his way, inflicted by people around him, family no less, who should have been caring for him and looking after him, but they weren't. Battle after battle, challenge after challenge. And you know where he got to? Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, he tells of his family his brothers in particular, but God intended this for good. Even in the midst of this challenge that Joseph faced, he could see that God had a plan, even though people were coming at him with intent. Then we moved on from 
him and talked about the story of Job. The hardship that Job faced was not so much about uh, the evil or misguided intent of people around him, of people and circumstance that people could control around him. It was actually things that were well out of his control. He couldn't manage any of this stuff. Where is God in that, the challenges of life? If God is sovereign, then surely he sees all that is going on in Job's life. If he's good, why is this happening? Job's wife suggests to him that he should curse God and die because of the challenge that was facing him that could not be pinned on another person. Job's response is, Shall we accept only good from God and not difficulty? Then we moved on to the story of Joshua. uh, Chapters 3 and 4 of the story of Joshua. Seeing uh, how God wants us to remember his goodness and pass it on, tell the story to our children, those who come after us. As people, we easily forget, we so easily forget, don't we, how good, how good God has been to us in the past. We remember the challenges we've faced, but we, re- we forget the good things. Or if we do remember them, we reframe the story and we tell ourselves as the hero rather than God. But God wants us to recall his goodness. That's what Joshua was was identifying for us. In Joshua 4, he said uh, of uh, God's intent as uh, they crossed the river and they made this uh, monument on the far side. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. Have reverence for God is what that means. You would remember God's goodness to you. Things in place that help you recall the story accurately of what God has done. There are good lessons in there for us about God's faithfulness, his goodness. They're not just stories of old, they're our story. This is our heritage and our lineage. These stories are our stories. We need to know them, we need to remember them, we need to celebrate them. Then finally we came to the goodness of God coming to the surface in God's time. Pip talked us through that in the last week of our Old Testament segment of this series. We talked about the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel and how that process of that story was developing patience and trust, faith, in that setting. And that the fullness of God's goodness would be seen over time. We saw the benefit of waiting with a posture of trust and worship. Psalm 131 gave us a great picture into that posture, that mindset. This is from the message, I've cultivated a quiet heart, Like a baby content in its mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. 
doesn't happen automatically. Babies aren't always content. But when they are, there's something special in that environment. I've cultivated that peace as I wait patiently and worship God. Patience is a fruit of what it means to be a follower of God. It's something that God wants to develop in you as his follower. And so the goodness of God we saw is inherent in who he is, a part of his very being. Something for you and I to see and to learn from and to experience and to lean towards. Sometimes it requires patience. But those stories of old are markers that are set down to help us stay the course. And so now we come to the goodness of God in the New Testament. All of that that we've just talked through is pointing to something. It wasn't an end in itself. All of those stories and numerous others have a meaning that points towards Jesus. And we are now entering the goodness of God in the New Testament for the next uh, eight or nine weeks. For those who are privileged enough to be present at this time, those who were inclined towards a Messiah, the words of Malachi and Isaiah would be front of mind. What am I looking for? When's this going to happen? How will I know? Malachi says this, I will send my messenger, God speaking through him, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. A promise through an Old Testament prophet that the Messiah is coming. Isaiah said this, A voice of one calling, In the wilderness prepare a way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Prior to Jesus' arrival, there was around 400 years of quietness, of silence, of disengagement from God to his people. There's no special move of the Spirit. There's no amazing things to come up out of the journey. So we're waiting patiently. And then Jesus is born. You can read about his birth in all four Gospels. But Jesus' early life has little information. It's a very quiet environment again. Very little documented in terms of scripture. But then we see the start of Jesus' ministry when he's 30 years old. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, um, turn to that. This won't come up on the screen. Let me just read these first couple of verses for you. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is who, ha- who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, and then he quotes this verse, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John the Baptist is that guy. He's out there preaching in the Judean countryside. People are coming from out of Jerusalem, stacks of people. Those who are inclined towards a Messiah. 
Here is John. The next few verses in Matthew's Gospel tell us about John. Uh, He eats bugs. He wears animals. Don't mess with him kind of feel. Is that sort of picture? He's a rugged fellow. And so here he is. He arrives and then we've seen the next part. He's preaching. He's telling a, a message, preaching a message of repentance and preparation, fulfilling this picture of Isaiah chapter 40. There's a lot of engagement. He's baptising stacks of people with a baptism of repentance. And, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Matthew tells us, all come out to have a listen. So they don't like sharing the, the power base. So they don't like what he has to say and he gives them both barrels back. It's a bit sort of awkward there. Then we get to verse 13. This will come up on the screen. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you. And do you come to me? Jesus enters the scene. This is the start of his ministry. This is a transition point. Something significant is happening here. Jesus is on the scene. The goodness of God is a part of his character. He can't help but be good and now he's in physical form. Goodness just walked in the room. And he says, John, you need to baptise me. So John has a ministry of preparing the way, but clearly he didn't expect to be doing this act with Jesus. His posture is so, so much that he is a, a very humble person. And so he would not think that he should be baptising baptizing Jesus. But Jesus comes with a similar posture of humility. You might have heard the phrase, um, uh, start as you mean to continue. Start as you mean to continue. That is true of Jesus as well. He's a humble guy. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. I might have put that in the wrong order. Here, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to... No, I was right. It's okay. Just relax. Jesus has a posture here. He knows his task, but he has a posture around humility and servanthood. And so there's a little bit of a debate about between he and John about who's going to baptise who. How's this going to work? Jesus responds by saying, Let it be so. Verse 15. It is proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness. Just one verse, you can whip over it pretty quickly. Um, At the end it says, then John consented. Let it be so, it's proper for us to do this, to fulfil all righteousness. And John's like, okay, I suppose I better, I don't understand. But if you're saying it, I better do it. To understand what this picture means, as we get to the start of... Jesus' ministry here, you have to go back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. There's a process here, read the whole chapter, it's this uh, detail is in this whole chapter of 16. Uh, and the process is around 
the Israelites having sacrifices for their sin. The priest would go into the temple, he would have two goats that were a part of the sacrificial process. The first goat uh, is presented by the priest and sacrificed in the temple as a sacrifice for him as he's about to undergo the next piece. He'll sacrifice this goat uh, so that he is clean and, and holy before God. Then he will go through a process of uh, bringing in the second goat. And upon this goat, the, uh, the priest will place both of his hands on the head of this goat and will pray all of the sins that are known to him onto the head of the Israelites onto the head of this goat. Verse 21 talks about their, their wickedness and uh, their rebellion. All of the sins out of the wickedness and rebellion of Israel he will place onto the head of this goat. And then an appointed servant will take that goat and walk that goat all the way out deep into the wilderness and then will release that goat from there, taking away the sins of Israel. And so as Jesus walks into the setting here of activating ministry, John is going to place his hands on Jesus and baptise him in water, a baptism of repentance. Not that Jesus needs for himself, he's not a sinner. But he's going to tell a story of fulfilment. You'll notice in this passage in Matthew's gospel here, let me read forward a little bit. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descend upon him like a dove and alight or land on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There's a laying on of hands of John with Jesus in this baptism of repentance. And then as soon as he comes up, God speaks and then Jesus is led out into the wilderness to be tempted. The goat, when it is led out into the wilderness, isn't a sinner hasn't become a sinner but carries the sin of all of Israel. And here is Jesus coming up, activating his ministry that God has called him to and is led immediately out into the wilderness. He doesn't become a sinner but he carries the sin of humanity upon his shoulders. This is a starting point. The end point is when Jesus dies on the cross. His blood is shed and the proof and evidence that Jesus is who he says he is, is evident three days later when he rose from the grave. But there's a starting point here, right at the start of the ministry. Here, First uh, John says this. Chapter 5, verses 5 to 8. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Jesus is baptised in water by John the Baptist, who is preparing the way. 
as he comes up out of the water, a voice from heaven, the voice of God, thunders, bellows, whispers maybe, this is my son testifying to who this person is. In him I am well pleased. And then at the end of Jesus' ministry, the blood will testify to the remission of sins. So here we are. The goodness of God has arrived, walked in the room, the person of Jesus. This is amazing. Everything that came before, all the lessons, the stories, the things, the insights, all pointing to this one person, Jesus. This is amazing. Goodness of God, you might be thinking, yeah, okay, mm, yeah, that's a good story. Um, Joshua, Joseph, Moses. But now it's getting really clear. If that was the stories before were cut, black and white and sort of just on a piece of A4 paper, this is a massive print in colour. It's about to get really exciting. The goodness of God arriving in the person of Jesus himself. So here you and I are. You know, the thing I, 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 that really stood out to me, I haven't really got time to mention too much of this. This is the thing that really stood out to me, so I probably should have mentioned it earlier. <laughs> As Jesus arrives here and starts his ministry, there's no miraculous activity here. This is a simple act from a guy wearing a camel. The two of them sort of arguing with each other around the, the, the posture of humility. No, it's, you need to do this. It's right for you to... Okay. There's no big message. There's no recruitment. There's no sign-up. There's no miraculous activity to prove who he is. There's nothing that infers anything about the true identity of who Jesus is, just fulfilment, a quiet start. Jesus operating as a man, effectively. He goes out into the wilderness, is tempted in every way like you and I, yet he's still without sin. And so you might think, hey, well, it's Jesus. this is different because it's Jesus. He's not calling on any of that stuff here. He's just been a faithful follower as he gets underway, trusting in the goodness of God. So here's a couple of questions for us to reflect on as we embark on this next part of the journey. The goodness of God found in the person of Jesus in the New Testament. Take a clickety-click of this if you want to on your phone. Reflect on this afterwards. Are there any, uh, is there an area in your life that you need to see the goodness of God revealed? Is there an area in your life? Or if I was going to be a little bit more pointed, I would say something like, there is definitely an area in your life 
There is 100% without question, without doubt, an area in your life where you need to see the goodness of God revealed. Are you praying into that challenge or need to see him reveal his good heart or his good plan for you in that area? That seems like a really obvious question in a place like a church, doesn't it? Probably don't even need to put it up there, Steve. Of course I'm praying into that. My heart is not so hurt and sad and disillusioned that I wouldn't pray about that issue. Of course I'm praying about it. So I don't even need to mention that one. But we'll just leave it up there, just, just in case. Are you walking that journey of seeking God for his goodness on this issue and praying into that challenge? Are you walking that journey with someone else? Have you entrusted the challenge of this environment into another person to walk with you? I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask Caden and the team to come back up and lead us in our final song for this morning. Can I just encourage you, if you'd kind of stepped off uh, the, uh, the, the train here of the goodness of God for a little bit, and you'd even forgotten that we were doing it, can I invite you gently to re-engage? This is going to be a great journey. Seeing the goodness of God through the person of Jesus. And I would invite you to get into that personally as you battle your own journey. Let me pray and then we will conclude our service. Father, we come to you now and we are so grateful so grateful for all of our heritage and the story that we have read through the Old Testament that points to your son. And now as we open this part of the journey, investing into the life of Jesus and seeing your goodness through him, walking amongst us, interacting with people like those in the room now, Lord, give us a real sense of your heart, who you are, And give us the courage to apply that to our own story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.